Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 479 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. What have you guys been up to? Look, I'm sure that most of you, like me, have had a bunch of short weeks lately. You know, what with the public holidays on Good Friday and Easter Monday and Anzac Day, and I believe the Queenslanders among us have another public holiday coming up. I must admit, I'm quite enjoying it. I must also admit that I actually do tend to work a bit on those days because, well, you know, there just aren't enough days in the week to get everything done. But I do love the fact that fewer people ring you or email you or message you so, you know, I can plow through stuff uninterrupted. I'm getting quite good at it. My partner told me that I've got a case of productivitis of late. And, you know, he's always inventing new words. But I like to combine that productivity with a bit of leisure too. So this morning I went to the cafe and combined that outing with making calls with you know, with my cappuccino in hand, of course, to my mentorees in the Freelance Writing Masterclass program. It's the week in every month where they can get unlimited mentoring on the pitches that they send to editors or the articles that they've been commissioned to write. And I love it when a few weeks later, I see their articles published in the media. Absolutely love it. I do a happy dance. For those of you who are writing fiction, well, I have a little bit of a pep talk for you. I want to try and help dispel some of your doubts. Some of you might might have these doubts about self-marketing as an author because, you know, most authors are terrified of marketing themselves. Many creatives are terrified of marketing themselves. But actually, you know, there's no reason to be afraid because, see, The thing about books is that people want to read books. Readers want to read books. They're always looking for something new to read. And, you know, it's not, you're not inventing a new technology and then hoping that there's a market. You're not trying to sell someone an insurance policy that they don't really want or lock them into a two-year phone contract or anything like that. Marketing yourself as an author simply helps readers to find you. Now, think about your own favorite books. How did you find them? Sometimes you just stumble on a book completely by accident, but usually you either read a review or you heard an interview with the author on a podcast, or maybe you saw them at a writer's festival or something, or they wrote an article or a blog post that, you know, you found interesting and you followed the trail kind of thing or followed them on social media. Now, none of these things would have happened if the author hadn't done a bit of marketing. They introduced themselves to a festival director or they pitched an article to a newspaper or sent an email to a podcast host. So think about it. If your favorite author hadn't done a bit of marketing, you wouldn't have found them and that would be sad. Think about how happy your readers will be when they finally discover your books and fall in love with them. See, when you look at it that way, self-marketing is a good thing. Now, of course, there is self-marketing and then there's just well, arrogant behavior. But unless you're blasting, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, all over social media every five minutes, you're probably fine. So please help readers to find you. You're doing them a favor. 
One great opportunity for marketing for children's authors, of course, is to do school visits. That's, you know, that's something that's not quite available to the adult authors, right? And if that's something that interests you, but you don't know where to start, check out our unique course, Presenting to Kids. During the course, you'll discover how to engage an audience of young people and how to use your books as a hook for your presentation, as well as gaining confidence and exploring paid opportunities, but importantly, selling your books. You can find out more at writercenter.com.au slash presenting. Now, let's move on to some very, very important things. Are you ready for the word of the week? Well, I hope so, because this week's word of the week is Solander. Well, actually, it's Solander box. Do you know what a Solander box is? I didn't. Anyway, a Solander box is a box that is in the shape of a book so that you can store papers inside it. Now, I have to admit that I got excited when I saw this because I thought it meant like a box disguised as a book that you hide on your shelf and it contains, you know, like the keys to the basement, secret basement or whatever. But it's actually more like an archival box, like what you have in an office maybe, you know, to to store important papers so they don't get damaged or squashed. The box was designed by a Swedish botanist named Daniel Solander, who you might have learned about at school, when he was working with natural history specimens at the British Museum. You may also know Daniel Solander as the botanist that came over on the Endeavour with Captain James Cook, and he was actually the first university-educated person to step on Australian soil. So, fun fact. Anyway, Solander box. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au forward slash book. All right, now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Our writer-in-residence this week is Matt Stanton. Matt is a children's author and illustrator who is famous for his Funny Kids series. He's also written picture books, and his latest book is from his board series, Milo Finds $105. I loved chatting to Matt, not only to talk about his creative process, but also the fact that he is in the enviable position of having sold more than one million books which is huge. So let's have a chat with Matt Stanton. Thank you so much for joining us today, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to be here. This is, I've got so many questions for you. Now, first, there is your latest book, uh, Bored, Milo Finds $105, $105. But I have so many questions, not only about the book, but also about your career. Because you have, you're like the author equivalent of a tech unicorn, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) You're like the Uber or the Canva or the Atlassian of the publishing world. (laughs) I don't know. I've been watching that uh, We Crash series. It's compelling, isn't it? 
Yeah, Fantastic. I don't know if so, I want to be a unicorn. No, well, he wasn't a true unicorn. You're a true That's unicorn. True. Okay, so, and the reason I say that is that very, uh, not that long ago at all, you hit over a million sales in books and yes. That's absolutely fantastic. So much I want to talk about with that. But first, I just want to, before we even start talking about the book, give listeners some context. Now, anyone who's a parent (laughs) is already familiar with you, but there are some listeners who are not. And I would like um, just for, if you could just fill us in on almost like a potted career history so far to lead you to where you are today. Sure. Um, well, so I, I I have known that I wanted to be a writer from from about the age of seven, I think. Wow. So my my mum has a, a a project that I did for school in grade the beginning of grade three, uh, where you know, a kind of a who am I, where did I come from, what I want to be when I grow up type project. And I've written in there that one of the things that I would like to be when I grow up is a writer. So I I have kind of evidence that at about at least by the age of seven, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, and I've loved writing stories my whole life. And uh, I spent a lot of time as a kid uh, just in my own imagination. And uh, and so, so there were always stories and characters happening in there. And so my career story then is, this, is the kind of the creative challenge that I think every writer faces uh, if they choose to, which is, if I want to do this for a job, how do I make that work? <laughs> mm. um, because I would have loved to have finished year 12 and for there to be a job ad for novelist, I would have applied, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't exist. So uh, so I knew that I needed some other uh, career. I was always writing all through school and I was always working on something at night and uh, or early in the morning. But uh, when I finished school, other than a brief period where I thought I might want to be a lawyer, <laughs> I, uh, I decided that, well, I wanted to stay really close to books. I wanted to learn about books. I'd, I'd done all of the, the Googling and the researching that we do of like how to write a good query letter and how to <laughs> approach a publisher. And, and the thought that I kept having was there are, there are real people on the other end of this. There are real people that work in publishing houses that are making decisions about what gets published and what doesn't. And I'd like to understand how that works. So I, uh, I found the closest publishing house to my house. This is when I was 19. <laughs> Let's get really practical about yeah. it. <laughs> Which was HarperCollins. And, uh, and I just started harassing their HR department. Uh, for any job that they had. I, I would make coffee, I would sweep floors, I would be in the mailroom, I'd do whatever. Uh, and an admin assistant role came up in the design department. Uh, so basically I was opening the mail and I was doing people's timesheets. Um, but that led me to the discovery of book design as a job, which had never occurred to me before, but was a beautiful synergy for me between my loves of art and writing and, uh, and so, so I started there at the age of 19 and then I took myself to uni at night and I studied as a graphic designer uh, and I spent the next 13 years working as a book designer, doing book covers for other people's books, uh, becoming an art, the, eventually the art director of that, of that department. And, uh, and all the while I was writing and I was trying to find my voice, but I had surrounded myself with people who were living and breathing publishing and so that helped me to 
to think about how to kind of find a path. I've now been doing this full-time for six years. So a full-time writer, which was my childhood dream for the last six years, um, and, uh, and I absolutely love it. That's incredible. That was so strategic of you that you even went to the extent of, I mean, obviously you had a propensity towards art and design, but you actually went to the extent of studying it and then going into that space or into that department. While you were in that department, was it always a means to an end or or like you knew you wanted to predominantly be a writer or did you think, oh, this kind of is a good fit, I might stay with it at any point? Yeah, no, I, I did. I loved it. I, I was really fortunate when when I had when I thought kind of as a kid that you know I'll need a day job. The kind of the assumption was, well, I'll hate my day job, but I'll come home and work on my novel, and that will <laughs> then I'll love that. Uh, but I actually loved my day job. Um, I love books, and uh, and I always have, and so to be surrounded with books all the time to meet amazing authors uh, all the time was just rich and vibrant and creatively challenging. Uh, it led me to spend a lot of time thinking about the connection between writers and readers that uh, that because so much of the work that we were doing in book design was about helping the book mm. that's been written that everybody loves find or be discovered by the readers who will love it. And mm. so so I spent a lot of time in that space and 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 I found that really rewarding. Mm. What age group would you say you predominantly write for at the moment? Uh, I've started saying middle primary school. Mm. I um I I I get asked about age a lot by parents mm. who want to know if my, and and it's tricky because there are some there are six year olds who read my novels and yeah. there are twelve year olds who read yeah. my novels and there's such a huge range there and fifty year olds totally yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, there's a huge range of kind of people, kids are maturing at different times, kids' reading level is kind of kicking in at different times. Mm. So I write for primary school. Yeah, yeah. And so but did you always have that, that were you always drawn to that age group? Did you ever think, oh, I'm going to write an adult thriller or something like that? I, I did write an adult thriller. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not at all. So I... Um, so it's quite funny that landing in kids' books happened quite almost accidentally. So I, um, yeah, I, I had written, I'd written an adult thriller. I'd written, um, I'd written kind of a coming of age, kind of, uh, kind of early 20s type story. Right. Uh, I'd written screenplays thinking maybe I would go into TV. Um, and the... Um, and what happened was I'd, so I'd been working on this adult thriller for seven years wow. while, while working at HarperCollins as a designer, kind of slogging away on this book and it was kind of never finished and it was, it was hard work. There was a lot of research and detail. And, and I had a good mate. I'd, made, I'd become good friends with Tim Miller who was in the marketing department at HarperCollins and we used to walk to the servo every day, every <laughs> afternoon and buy, and buy a kind of pick-me-up drink in the afternoon. And, <laughs> Slopey, uh, yeah, yeah. and he was uh, he was working on on the side. He was working on a big fantasy epic, and so we both had these big, serious kind of writing projects we were slogging our way through. And one day we said to each other, "You know what would be fun? We should see if we've got a picture book idea in us, because 
you know, I, I draw and, and illustrate and, and he was writing and I was writing and we know all the people because we're working with them every day. Let's see if we've got something. And so we we came up with the idea of there's a monster under my bed who farts. And it was a bit of a joke. It was a relief from the big serious projects we were working on. Uh, and we published it. Harper was interested in it. They published it. It sold really well. And And what that did was that put me in front of kids Mm. Um, because it was right around the time that Beck and I were starting our family and, and, and starting to have children. And, uh, but it took me into schools and put me in front of kids. And I realized that there's something really exciting for me in that kind of primary school space, because Mm. kids are deciding if they're going to be readers or not. And they, it's amazing to me how early they adopt the kind of, oh, I hate reading label and that can carry through to adulthood so the idea of creating and writing in the space where you have the potential of really opening up the reading door to kids and then who knows where they'll go with it um, I found that I find that really rewarding right so you've obviously really made a name for yourself in that space do you still are you still going to write the adult thriller (laughs) Uh, not, not that thriller. Um, I, it's been interesting to have gone on a journey of taking the thing that I always did on the side for my own creative satisfaction Mm. and then making that my main job. Yes. Um, that's an interesting shift that I hadn't kind of expected. Um, and, and so I think for me, writing writing things that are not children's books in this stage of my life are still that's still the the creative work that I'll do for me uh, right. for now. And um, and I think yeah, I, I would like to write lots of different things. I'm really happy doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yes, I, I I I'm constantly trying to be better and trying to improve and trying to stretch and grow and as a writer. Mm-hmm. And so. So those challenges and those those spaces are still really exciting to me. Mm. So when you um, initially you wrote the books with Tim, mm. and that's obviously a collaborative process, but not always when people write picture books because often writers and illustrators are never meet and stuff like that. But obviously you were in the environment such that it was a collaborative process. Mm. You've done ones with your wife, um, Beck. Which one? Which was your first? solo and how did that experience how was that experience different so my first solo book was funny kid the first funny yeah. kid book so so i'd done two pictures which books. is bananas right a series it's just bananas it's gone bananas <laughs> so yes really fun. yeah so <laughs> so um yes i have two picture book series yeah, as you said, one with Beck and one with Tim. Uh, I'd done one kind of one-off book with Mark Carthew um, and and then as, a, as an illustrator, I just I worked as an illustrator. and um, and then yes, then I moved into to novels and I and I have done all of those myself. Um, I think I've always worked that way. The thing that was unusual for me was working in collaboration. Um, right. So as as growing up, getting up at five o'clock every morning and writing before school, that's, that's a space I'm really used to. Um, and, uh, and I quite, I quite like it. Um, what I've, where I think I've grown a lot is in my work with the team 
at HarperCollins kids team. So, so with the editors and, and the publisher and, um, and the whole team there, um, because I had, because I've worked on the other side, because mm. I've worked in the publishing house, I, there are so many incredibly wonderful and creative people um, working in that space who love books. And mm. so uh, it's a huge benefit, creative benefit to, to really involve them and engage them as much as I can to be, to, to push, to push everything that I'm doing to try to make it better. So um, that's most of the collaborating I'm doing at the moment. Um, but the original kind of the day-to-day work is, uh, is me in here. <laughs> when you started the Funny Kids series, was it always the intention for it to be series? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And obviously this is a series as well, board. Mm. Um, so Milo, fi- fi- Milo finds $105. Tell us what made you think, hmm, I'm going to write this book. Or actually first tell listeners what it's about so they, so they know. Sure. So that um, so it's my first series that is not illustrated. It's got a little kind of visual prologue at the start, but other than that, it's it's a novel. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do, what I'd realised is that um, all of the work that I do is in series, and um, and when I when you create a series, you you kind of make a contract with the reader, if you like. Uh, this is what I've discovered along the way. <laughs> you you kind of you say this is what this is going to be, which also includes this is what it's not going to be. Um, and so so then the the kids who pick up a funny kid book know what they're going to get in a funny yes. kid. Book. Uh, well, there was more. There were other spaces that I wanted to write about that I. I can't do in a funny kid book because it kind of breaks that contract. So if I go to something, a more serious subject, um, then even though I could still kind of find ways to do it, to explore it with humour, funny kid, the promise is I'm trying to make you laugh on every page. And so, so I either have to, I either have to break that promise or I have to treat the subject that I'm writing about, um, Mm with too much levity. So, so what I, um, the beautiful thing about starting a new series is you get to make a new contract. And what I wanted to do was, uh, my daughter, Bonnie has just turned nine. And, uh, and in the last couple of years we discovered, well, she discovered the babysitters club. Okay. (laughs) And so, uh, uh, and so we, we, you know, we watched the show. We, she read the graphic novels. We, we read some of the novels. And it reminded me of some of the reading that I'd done as a kid um, in terms of sort of uh, authors like Judy Bloom or Robin Klein or uh, Morris Gleitzman, where, where stories, there were stories for kids that were really about the, the complicated business of being a kid, the, the, the normal stuff that kids go through. They're not super exaggerated. They're n- it's not escapist fiction. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's the real normal stuff. It's relationships. It's divorce. It's grief. It's all sorts of different subjects. Um, and that there is humour to be found there. Um, and that's what I wanted to write about. I wanted to, I wanted to write a series that... Uh, in a way, did the kind of Seinfeld thing of like it's about nothing, which means it can be about everything, um, and 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 explore the kind of the the real day to day earthiness of what it means to to be an eleven and twelve year old, mm. um, 
So that's that's where bored comes from. Bored, every kid. <laughs> bored, yes. being bored, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, and every parent has heard it to death and <gasps> it goes through different approaches as how to solve it. Um, so so every sto- so the, the books in the series will be from different, there's a group of kids. Uh, different books in the series will be from the perspective of different of different kids. Um, and they're all they're all quite different. Um, but the thing that that kind of unites them is that every book will start with them being bored and uh, and kind of what happens from from there. Either something comes to them or or they initiate something. what what comes from the place of bored is the beginning. what what yes. comes from there? Brilliant. Now, when you are writing a series, and maybe you can talk about this more about the Funny Kids series because this is just at the start, the board is just at the start. Do you already know how many books are going to be in the series or do you just keep on writing and then you kind of know this that this is going to be the end one, you know what I mean? Sure. So, how, oh, do, yeah, is it a bit organic or do you plan it out? So I, I'm, I decide at the beginning whether in my mind it's a kind of limited series or whether I want it to be a series that if it's working for me and it's connecting with kids, I can keep going. Okay. And I've realised that, that that involves quite a different approach to writing. Um, mm. So I've got a, a graphic novel trilogy called The Odds, um, yes. of which two are published. The third one is written. I'm illustrating it at the moment. Um, so that's a closed arc. That's, that's one story told across three books, um, and so, so I have that arc in mind from the very beginning. Mm. To write a series like Funny Kid or like Bored, which potentially if it's connecting I can keep going, mm. um, is to think about it a little bit more, I've realised, like a sitcom. So, yeah. so when, the, when, when you're writing a, 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 a standalone novel or a, or a, or a, a closed arc, then you have a sense of I'm going to take the character's going to start here and I'm going to take them on a journey of some sort and they're going to end up in a different place. Mm. If you're writing a sitcom, you can't do that. You don't want the character to change every episode. So mm. instead you, you have a fixed space that you have the characters in and then you throw something at them, a situation yes. at them, and what they're doing in the story is trying to return to this, the kind of the space that they started in. Um, which means you can start each book with a kind of a stability of the cast and things like that. That's a great explanation. <laughs> I found that really helpful because it does mm. mean uh, it, it helps me to think about what I can and can't do in the story if I want mm. to be able to keep going. But I've also enjoyed writing the odds where you get to do that kind of closed and you know it's closed. There will be no odds for. Um, it's it's one story. Yeah. So... I think I read that, was it last year or the year before? I think it was last year you had six books out. Is that right? Uh, quite possibly, yes. Yeah. I, it's, the, I mean, the craziest, it's, the craziest year was nine. Nine books. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we need to talk about that because how is that humanly possible? It's not. <laughs> so um, so if, if this can be my confession space. Yes, um, please do. Uh, uh, it's not. Like it's, uh, it hurt and, and I've been through a bit of a process of being honest with myself that I'm not a machine, I'm a human mm. being. Mm. Um, so it came, the reason for it is it came from a place of um, I... Um, 
I want to, I need to build, I need to build a kind of critical mass of books. Yeah. Um, and so not all of it, like most of those books were not novels, especially on the nine year. So one, one, one of them was this series of baby books yeah. that Beck and I did together. We did four in a year. Uh, they're yeah. incredibly simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't, it's not like I was writing nine novels, but, <laughs> um, but it was too much. Mm. And, um, and I kind of, I had come from a space, like my whole 20s had been about kind of working huge hours in the office and then coming home and working huge hours at night on my side project. And it's all about the hustle and the go. Yes. All of that. <laughs> um, and I think as I'm getting a bit older, I've, I've, <laughs> I've realised that's, well, that's, that's not going to always, um, that's not the way I want to work forever. That, yes. that was a season and um, and and what's really important to me is that I continue to grow as a writer and that that, in, that means creating some space. Now I'm living in the benefit of working that way because I did get a critical mass of books and now I have the luxury of being able to do this. The unicorn. You're the, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, I um, especially move, kind of moving out of full-time work, like salaried work, into being a full-time writer with a mortgage and young children, I, I felt the pressure of that. I felt the kind of like, this is a small business, go, 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 go. Um, yeah. And um, and we've been able to build it to enough that I, I don't have to, I can be a little bit kinder to myself now. Right. So what you're saying is that even though you wouldn't do it again, you're kind of glad you did it because it gave you the foundation of a, of, you know, a body of work which enabled you to be the unicorn. So what now is your ideal number of books per year if, you know, if, 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 if you could pick an ideal number? Yeah, sure. So, so kind of going forward from here, the plan is to do three to four a year. Okay. So when you're doing those three to four, tell me about the structure of your year. Are you working on them at the same time or are you going, okay, this quarter I'm doing this, this quarter I'm doing this? And this quarter I'm doing this. How does it work on a practical level? So it's lots of, there's lots of books happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I'm usually, I usually set it up so that I'm doing different things on each book at the same time. So it's not sure. like I'm, I'm working on a manuscript in the morning for one book and then working on the manuscript for another in the, in the afternoon. <laughs> um, I'm, I'll be writing one book. I might be editing and working with the editor on another book. I might be illustrating another book. I do all the covers for my books, so I design all the covers. So, so there's there's that in there too. Um, so it involves lots of collaboration with with the team at, at Harper, um, and they've been really great about that. We work, we've got we've got shared schedules and all of that sort of thing. Um, I do I do really like working on multiple projects at once. I um. I find that creatively stimulating and and it helps that if I'm a bit stuck on something, if I've hit a story problem and I just need to let it mull for a while, well, I can illustrate something while that's mulling away. That's using a kind of different part of my brain. Um, and so, so I can stay productive um, even while I'm kind of working through mm. things. So if you are doing, you, you enjoy working on multiple projects at the same time, is it easy for you to 
shift gears, change hats, you know, or do you have to, I don't know, listen, some some authors say they have to listen to the soundtrack that's associated with that book or whatever. <laughs> uh, a little bit. One of the things that I've, one of the, one of the biggest challenges, I think, I, like the illustrating feels quite different. So I yes. can just go into that space. When I'm illustrating, I've usually got a movie on in the background. Like I'm kind of, it's quite a different space. Um, but with writing, the thing that I find most challenging about moving between different projects is is connecting with the voice of the character and mm, making sure yeah. that I'm not, that Milo in board doesn't sound like Max from Funny Kid. Mm. <laughs> um, and and so sometimes that's about music. Uh, I do do that. Sometimes. So, uh, so what was it? What was it? What did you do to get into Milo's voice in this one? Okay, well, I, have, <laughs> so I haven't <laughs> told anybody this. Um, <laughs> Uh, I used an accent. I I spoke it out loud in an accent. Now I'm terrible at accents, and I'm not going to do it. But um, <laughs> but I found that really helpful because I have, as I've written Max in Funny Kid, I've I've often spoken the words yeah. out in, yeah. my, in my voice. Um, well, if I if I used an accent, and it doesn't really matter what, um, for Milo when I was writing, then he sounds different. To me and he feels different and right now i'm writing frog a character from board uh, who is the protagonist of of the second board book and and i've i'm using a different accent is it the same is it a specific accent for the milo book a specific accent for the frog book or it's just a different accent to get you into a different headspace uh yes i'm using a different accent for each character but they're consistent for that character. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is that's a really weird technique. Yeah. And how did you chance upon that? Did you read it somewhere, or did you? How did you in the world would think that? Um, I think it happened because I was writing Milo, and uh, and talking the dialogue out loud as I was as I was writing it. And just going, oh, that's that, that bit sounded like Max from Funny Kid. That sounded like what he would say. How do I? How do I make it not? How do I? How can I distinguish wow. that? Because because with Max, I'm just using my normal voice. Yeah. Uh, and so how do I? And so it was a kind of like, oh, I don't know. Let's try this. And when I tried it, I I went, oh, that's that gives me something fresh, which I don't know that you can see on the page. My, my, like, it's always going to sound like me, but my yes. hope is that it sounds a little different. Yeah. But it has an, a kind of, so Milo uses shorter sentences um, and, um, and there were a few little kind of verbal ticks that I gave him, some of which we, we weeded out in the edit in the end because they were distracting. But mm. it, was, it was helping, yeah, just to, to go, this is a different kid, yeah. so he thinks differently. Um, and that's interesting in board because I've created a cast of characters, mm. but I need each character to be able to be a protagonist mm. uh, in a future book. And, that's and to have their own voice. Yeah. Mm. Um, and um, and that's not always the way that you create a cast. You kind of you start mm. with your protagonist and then you kind of build out perhaps what you yeah. need, what you need your other characters to be. Um, yeah. So you start off with uh, say the, the you know the basic premise that they're bored. <laughs> yeah. 
What then, and, and obviously you have some idea of what how, how it's going to start. Do you know when you start writing what's going to happen or are you effectively a pantser? Am, am I a plotter or not? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so what I the kind of process I've developed over the books is um, that I've realised that I like to write the way that I like to draw, which is um, if I'm... If I'm going to draw a, a picture of Spider Man mm-hmm. on a piece of paper, uh, I don't start by drawing a detailed version of Spider Man's left eye. Mm-hmm. I start by doing a really loose circle of where Spider Man's head's going to be, and then a line for where the kind of body movement is going to be, and then and then over the top of that, I start to put in the kind of the the la- so I work in layers, right? You kind of start with a, yes. a loose skeleton and you build it up and up and up. Um, until you're drawing the individual lines of web on his costume and then you're colouring and then and I realised I like to write in the same way. So rather than uh, early on when I was writing, it, it was very much about plot it out and then write to the write to your kind of outline, mm. whereas I think it's, it's still sort of a version of that, but I, I think of it as doing multiple sweeps through. So, so what's the kind of core idea? How am I putting that down? Then, then how are the, how are the characters kind of interacting across the story? And then, uh, you know, where are the different uh, challenges and twists and how do I make this story interesting? How do I make these scenes work? Um, Oh, I've got this idea for something that's going to happen at the end. How can I layer that in early on? So it kind of seeds it in there. Um, then often, sometimes I mean that even comes down to then doing writing a scene dialogue first, so writing it like a script, oh. and and then going okay, so now I've got so that I can write kind of quickly, so I can be like, yeah, one character says this, which you know the other character is going to come straight back with this, and then and I'm not thinking about what mm. might need to go in between just yet. I'm just in the scene, yeah. uh, and then coming back through that dialogue and writing around it. Wow. So so I kind of work that way. Um, Wow. Okay. And then one, when you're in, you know, focusing on on a manuscript, like you've got one going, Mm. what does your day look like? What was, (laughs) like, how do you structure, is there a structure? You wake up at a certain time. Do you have a specific routine? What's that look like? Uh, In my ideal world, that's what it would look like. (laughs) But in reality, uh, but in reality, we have four children. Oh. Uh, um, the youngest is one, and the oldest is nine. Um, and and life is full and crazy and busy. And we, Beck and I, both work from home. Um, and so it's all very fluid. And so, um, you know, maybe one day further down the track, when life is a little bit more when they're all at school routine, yeah. Then, uh, then it might go back to something like that. That's certainly how I used to work. Routine was really important for me when I was starting. Right. Um, but um, yeah, at the moment, it's. Um, I've always been someone that's gotten up really early and written kind of before everyone gets up. Yeah. Um, but going back to that, I'm a human, not a machine. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. Uh, I realized that meant that I was waking up to an alarm. Mm. And and if I've had a bad night with the kid being up with the kids, then it's then you feel behind and it's quarter past five. Like, mm. I don't want to feel behind at quarter past five. Mm. So um so I I've I've been kind of trying to take care of myself a bit better in the early mornings. Get up, we do the school, 
routine than the school run and then and and then each week Beck and I are kind of mapping out the week I'll work here you work there I'll do this school run you do that one Mm. so that's what life's like at the moment when you found out you'd passed the million book sale mark was there a celebration in your house or did you (laughs) how did that feel did you ever think that would happen um I'd not thought about it specifically. I'd always sort of hoped that that I could reach a lot of kids, mm. um, but it um, it was um, yeah yeah we certainly celebrated here. The the way that I've found it helpful to think about mm. um, because in in publishing world you know there's lots of talk about numbers and sales and sure. and, and all of that and um, uh, which is helpful to think mm. about, but um, but also the kind of the more meaningful way to think about it for me is, and it's a bit cheesy, but it works for me, which is, um, okay, so every one of my books is designed to give kids a great time with a book and to hopefully create a smile. Mm. If you think one million books sold, maybe that's one million smiles. And mm. and that feels pretty um, pretty meaningful, yeah. that, that kind of the connection with readers and and what you're doing and mm. and. And kids, kids are carrying a lot, and um, especially in the last couple of years, mm. and um, and there are lots of pressures on them, and mm. and so if I can give them a reason, uh, you know, if I can gift them a smile at some point or make them laugh, then what a joy! So I mean, it's a double thing, right? Because it's a great outcome for the kids; it's a great milestone for you, but it does kind of circle back to. Um, it's intricately tied to that concept. I'm, I'm not a machine because that it was that period in your life or your nine books or what, you know, and the surrounding period where you worked really hard to set that foundation that enabled this, I imagine enabled this to happen. Do you, even though that was really hard for you at the time, do you regret it at all? Or do, are you grateful for it? Because it gave you this. Yeah, no, I don't regret it. Um, because I also, I also learnt a lot about myself as a creative and as a human being um, in that in that period. And I, I guess what I took from it is, I don't want to keep doing that. Um, yeah, sure. And I, don't ha- and I don't have to. And you don't have to. Well, um, yeah. Um, and because- but it was worth it. But it was worth it to give you that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't regret it. Um, it's. Um, it's just been a shift in my thinking about how I kind of where I want my priorities to be. Of um, course, of course. And, and that's, um, and I think I'll create better work. I think I am creating better work as a result. And that's, mm. that's what's really, that's what I feel really passionate about. Mm. Um, I want to be a better writer next year than I am now and, and, and keep growing and stretching. And, and that means, um, that means for me in this season, just slowing down a little bit mm. and being really intentional about what I want to create. I don't need to throw spaghetti at the wall. Um, yeah. I, I need to create great work. So as a writer then, what is the most rewarding thing for you personally? Not in terms of, hey, there's a great outcome for kids, which is great that you, I know mm. you feel that way, but what mm. is the most rewarding thing for you personally when you're writing a book? That's a great question. Um, oh, I think so. So I love writing. Mm. It's also really hard. 
And and every now and then you have this moment, and I'm sure you know this too, like where it, you can relate to this too, where it kind of, it just comes together. It just comes alive. Um, You realise you can do something that just feels magical that you didn't see before. And Oh, that it just, it's, it's a really hard thing to share or to explain to anyone who isn't a writer, I think, mm. because it's kind of, it's hard to come up with an, I can't come up with an equivalent in a different space. Yes. Um, other than it just, you just have this surge of like, oh, I love this. I love <laughs> what I do. Um, and so those moments are, um, are electric and, uh, and, and I love them. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, I'm so excited about the rest of the series rolling out um, of of, of board. Before we finish up, my final question then is, particularly for the age group that you focus on, you know, what if there are other aspiring writers out there who want to, you know, connect with the kids that you so obviously do, that want to write stories that... Um, really, really resonate with with their readers and who want to pass the million bookmark. <laughs> Maybe not so much that bit. <laughs> um, what's what are your top three tips for people writing for that audience? Sure. Um, so, so one of them would be um, uh, spend time with kids. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, for me, that's been a com- that's a combination of kind of writers' festivals or school visits where I can do them, um, but probably more realist, like more kind of normally, it's uh, it's being with my kids and their friends. So it's and it's um, just hearing how they're talking, listening to the way that they're relating, listening to the things that stress them out, um, and the things that are huge in their world. Often mm-hmm. we kind of as an adult, we come with this perspective of like, well, these are the big things and these are the little things that you're dealing with. But but a kid has a different viewpoint on that. Yes. <laughs> different things are big and small. And and as a writer for kids, we need to enter into that space. I, I, I don't think, well, at least in the sort of writing that I'm doing, I'm not particularly trying to teach kids anything. I just want to meet them where they are mm. and... Um, and create great stories that they're going to really enjoy in the in the space that they're in. Yeah. Uh, so that would be one thing. Um, the other, and I guess it's related, would be um, I think we patronise kids a bit. I think mm-hmm. we think of them as uh, half-formed humans, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like they're kind of uh, the, the, um, and and so and sometimes that can come across in children's books. That feeling like, I mean, I guess it's connected to that idea of teaching them stuff, but it's it's that kind of uh, this is what I want you to learn from this book. Um, this is what you need. Um, and and I think we could do a better job at, at listening to kids a lot more. I realise those two dramatically overlap. Um, no, no, that makes sense. The, the third one, I guess it, I, I kind of, I use this a bit as a general kind of response to people who, chat to me about what that, that, that they want to write kids books um and that is that my kind of question back is well have a if you can have a really 
careful think about what it is you're actually trying to do. Mm. So why do you want to write a kid's book? And the reason for that is not because I'm not trying to be challenging or adversarial. It's, it's because there's a whole lot of different pathways available to you and, the, and why you want to create children's books should dictate the path that you choose. There isn't one. So if you want to sell a million books uh, and you want to see your book in a local bookstore, then you probably need to be traditionally published. So therefore, you need to think about what publishers are looking for in, in right. and what they think. Yes. If you really want to hold, if you've got an idea that's just burning in your mind and you just really want to hold it in your hands, yes. well, there are some really wonderful and affordable ways for you to take that idea and put it into a physical form. Mm. If if you've got a really specific idea about a really specific subject that you think this book should exist and this needs to be here, but it's probably not for everybody, it's for a particular mm. thing. It's a story about grief or it's a story about, um, I, I don't know, a particular subject for a particular group of kids. Mm. Well, then there are pathways for you to create that and to think about how to connect with people. Mm. So so to, to, to kind of pause from the like, oh, I've got an idea for a book, to pause at that moment and go, what do you, like, is this something you want to do for the next 20 years and you want to write a book a year for 20 years or is this... Now you've got this one book and you want to get it out there because if you can be really honest with yourself about what that is that you're trying to do, um, it, it makes selecting your kind of publishing pathway a lot clearer. That's absolutely fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Matt. I think look, everyone bought um, the first in this series, no doubt many more to come. And, of course, Matt has a billion other books in his back catalogue that you can check out. We must have you back again soon on the podcast because that was an absolute delight. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. Thank you so much. I love chatting with you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to write fiction for kids and teens, our five-week online course, How to Write for Children and Young Adults, will help you get there faster. Find your voice, create characters, dialogue and plots to fit your age group and write compelling stories that young readers will love, all in a couple of hours a week. You'll also enjoy the convenience of learning from anywhere and get your very own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writercentre.com.au slash children's author. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Matt. I always think it's fascinating to listen to other authors and their own creative processes. And, you know, the fact that he's become so successful and such a best-selling author there's something that we can definitely learn from that. Let's move on to our giveaway this week. This is much anticipated. This is the book, the latest book by Julia Cameron. Yes, the Julia Cameron, who is the internationally best-selling author of The Artist's Way. However, this book, her latest book, is called Seeking Wisdom. And we have three copies to give away. You could win one of these three copies. Seeking Wisdom is a deeply personal account of pain, healing, and growth. Julia shows the reader how to harness prayer in whatever form that takes for the individual to overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles and forge ahead towards becoming the person they were meant to be.
meant to be. This is a guide to creative unblocking, a spiritual path to deeper creativity and a more profound connection to the divine. Filled with meditations, creative exercises and Julia's characteristic positivity, this is a valuable guide for any writer. For those of you who are not familiar with Julia Cameron, she is absolutely, you know, a genius when it comes to the creative process and unlocking your creativity. Her book, The Artist's Way, has sold gazillions. I don't know the exact figure, but it is a Bible of sorts amongst creatives. She famously coined the idea of morning pages, which is where every morning, you know, we've speak, we've spoken about this many times in the past, although it doesn't have to be the morning, I must say, but she thinks it should be the morning. You write three crappy pages where you just write whatever's in your head and you just let it all out there. You don't have to, no one is going to read it except for you. You don't have to think about it. It's whatever decides to come out of your pen. It's such a valuable tool and it really does help unblock a lot of people in their creative process. So her books are very well regarded. So um, I'm really keen to check this one out myself. I'm going to get my own copy. So you could win one of three copies of Seeking Wisdom. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 2nd of May. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I hope you have a great week coming up. Feel free to connect with me on social media. Also, make sure if you're not already in the podcast listener community on Facebook, join. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Love to have you in there. You'll find the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au and feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, Twitter and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.